With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. From Variety, I'm Michael Schneider. Six Feet Under was one of the shows that ushered in the new golden age of TV. And for Portlandia co-creator and star Carrie Brownstein, it also produced one of her favorite episodes of TV of all time, the season four episode, That's My Dog. Six Feet Under is all, will always be a show that I'm fond of for many reasons. One is that it's the first show that I binge-watched. I didn't have HBO at the time. I rented I, maybe even VHS. Yeah. Um, like like from Blockbuster? Like from just... Blockbuster, something like that. Yeah. Um, and sort of watched it like that, which feels very analog. And um, But it was the first show that I sort of consumed in this way that by the time it ended, I felt like all these people were my family and I missed them yeah. at the end. You know, like by Nate, you know, I just... Right. Um, but this episode, I think in particular, um, I, I guess what I like about it is that it took huge risks with their audience like and i i think as a someone who makes television you know taking that kind of risk i see it now as a precedent that other people have done where they take you know sort of the audience's expectations and they subvert them and they i i don't think in this case it was manipulative i think it was really trying to get at something um flawed and contradictory about the character and sort of trying to um you know expose i guess the the vulnerabilities and also just the sort of the dark underpinnings and the sort of like the urges the sort of abject urges that we all have and taking a character that people love and sort of messing with them i think is something that is hard to do um and it just it was I, I thought it was a, a really intense episode, and um, yeah, I just it sticks in my mind, and I think not in a bad way. So I'm Michael Schneider, and on this edition of the podcast, we talked to Carrie Brownstein about Six Feet Under, and also her favorite episode of a comedy of all time, plus her favorite episode of Portlandia ever. It's my favorite episode. My favorite episode's about to start. IFC's Portlandia returned for an eighth and final season this past winter, as fans said farewell to the eclectic Portland-based characters played by stars and co-creators Fred Armisen and Carrie Brownstein. Armisen, Brownstein, and Jonathan Kreisel were behind the long-running show, which is up for several Emmys this year, including Outstanding Variety Sketch Series and Outstanding Directing for a Variety Series, which Brownstein is nominated for as the helmer behind the episode Riot Spray. IndieWire recently sat down with Carrie Brownstein to discuss the legacy of Portlandia and whether she and Fred might ever be interested in revisiting the show. 
We also talked about the state of her Hulu pilot, Search and Destroy, and what she has in store next. But first, we dug into that Six Feet Under episode and how it was one of the shows she at first missed out on while touring with her band, Slater Kinney. I first wanted to ask you about the Six Feet Under episode. Um, because, so, so the, the episode that you chose, That's My Dog, mm-hmm. um, which, uh, so it's season four, episode five from, from July 18, 2004. This, this was like a departure episode for, for Six Feet Under. It, it was a departure episode. So you take sort of the most humanist, relatable character, sort of the moral center of the show. Yeah. David Fisher. And, uh, they thrust him into a, a, a really terrifying, violent scenario uh, where he is sort of tricked and attacked and beaten. And it's, I mean, it's, it's horrific. It's, it's brutal. It's, it's, it's a brutal episode. And it, uh, I think people were kind of all over the place with their reactions to it. I think some people thought it was a, a, a brave and interesting episode and other people thought it was gratuitous and it's violence and that they were taking, you know, their, their gay character and sort of punishing him. And, yeah, you know, yeah. there, there was a lot um, of reactions all valid. Yeah. It was, and I think part of it is because, you know, this was still 2004. So mm-hmm. this was like the early days of the quote unquote new golden age of mm-hmm. TV. Mm-hmm. So you could still kind of get away with really shocking people. It, this was still kind of completely out of the norm and not what people were expecting, where maybe these days they expect things a little bit more because, you know, 15, 20 years later, there are so many shows that do this sort of, you know, left left turn all mm-hmm. of a sudden and do these shocking episodes that it might be less shocking today than it was back then. But mm-hmm. to take especially this character that people sort of took for granted mm-hmm. to some degree, including mm-hmm. the other characters on the show, mm-hmm. and just to torture him like that and and to put him through that was that was that was a hard watch yeah and i think a a show that like so you know the premise was so much about mortality Mm -hmm. and uh you never want you know it always started each episode started with a death and i feel like in terms of violence you never want violence to feel quaint you know what i mean and i think there was something when you're dealing with with death and some of the the deaths at the beginning were violent and or you know even sometimes played for laughs and i also think it was it was a way for people to remind themselves not to be inured to violence you know yeah. what i mean that it, it came in as kind of this reminder of, of the real brutality and messiness of of life, and also that you know, violence is not something that we should get used to. And I think it came in in, in a show that sometimes people thought was could be too facile and too sort of arch in certain ways. Yeah, and um, yeah, and people so it's here I guess one of my favorite shows. Yeah, it's, it's, and, and you you, you mentioned it, uh, you know, at the time, and, and I think probably still even now, people are are sort of bothered perhaps by the fact that you know it, it was a gay character and he was put through the ringer like this. And, and I and I know even but back still, then, Alan Ball. The creator of the show and, and Alan Poole, who directed the episode, they're both gay men, so they they both sort of had a, a, an interesting sort of state statement on that, which is that's not what we were trying to do here, and you know they they were able to perhaps you know go down that road because they they had something more to say than to just torture their gay character and and make it be a punishment. That's not what they wanted it to be. Mm-hmm. And I didn't feel like that to me upon watching it, and also I I feel like because. 
David Fisher was a, sort of an early gay character, like in sort of, you know, it was not as common to have sort of a fully realized, fully actualized gay character. You know, he had a partner and I, it was like there was something sort of sanitized yeah. about it. They sort of, I feel like, had to sort of purposely like sanitize these characters for a while. Like he had to sort of be like the, you know, the hold up the moral rectitude of the show because people sort of expected him, you know, to to be subversive. And so when they messed with that, I thought that they were taking, you know, some some bold moves there um, in terms of, like, depiction of, I don't know, of queerness and sort of the multitudes and that it wasn't just, you wasn't going to be safe for everyone. It was, I thought it was actually kind of a reminder, like, you know, don't take this for granted. Yeah, yeah. And it turns out he was a serial killer in Miami anyway all this time. So <laughs> There we go. I mean, yeah, I like to conflate all of my characters. So, yeah, yeah. it was actually they were doing a, a great thing. It yeah. was like, you know, they caught Dexter early. Had no idea if they, the Right, yeah. If they'd gotten rid of David Fisher, we never would have had all the murders that Dexter would have you know, yeah. rot upon people. Exactly. Yeah, that's it, how TV works, that right? Is, that, I, I think so. <laughs> yeah, okay, I, I think good. So. Yeah. So, so take me back. So you didn't watch it at the time. You watched no. it a couple years later? Or? Uh, yeah, a couple years later. So still, like, maybe the late 2000s, yeah. you know, 2008, 2009. Because early 2000s was still sort of the, the height of Slater Kinney, right? And, and you were probably busy touring and, and and did you have much time to watch tv back when you're on the road all the time and, and no, i didn't have a lot of time to watch tv i remember touring when um i was just out of college and we were we were playing a lot of other colleges at the time because it was a way to make money you would go and play like yale or dartmouth and it was like a decent guarantee financial guarantee at the time and walking in we had to stay at someone's in someone's dorm and everyone was sitting around watching the show and it was Friends, and I was like, I never even heard of it. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, oh, God. <laughs> um, and I was like, oh, yeah, Friends. I missed a lot. I missed a lot of shows because I was touring. Lots of television shows yeah. because I was touring. Is, is there ever a weird gap where someone brings up, like, a 90s show, and you're like, no idea? I miss Frasier. Yeah, there, there, there's a couple gaps, I think. Will and Grace, Frasier. Uh, I managed to catch most of Seinfeld. Uh, I think I have it more with music, like, popular music at the time like I just did not listen to any mainstream music yeah um yeah it's weird though but that, that was a time where you could actually tune things out like you could miss things it's a lot harder to miss things now right I think people actually wish they were missing certain things like there used to be sort of FOMO um you know that acronym of fear of missing out and yeah. now I think people are like I wish there was some event that happened without my knowing it. right right you even know? memes like yeah. you, you you're kind of up to speed on on the memes yeah and, and yeah so so well like, the other show that you brought up is is the office now mm-hmm. that that was more late 2000s mm-hmm. uh, so so walk me through were you an office fan from the beginning did you catch up on that later or I was I've been a fan of the British office yeah. uh which now feels so unnecessary to say but at the time I I mean I remember okay great they're adapting this very dark show Um, and season two of that of The Office it just really hit its stride I mean I remember that I feel like when you're when you're adapting something or you know and you're sort of beholden to the source material so I feel like a lot of you know when Americans adapt you know British or European shows there's this deference they pay in the first season that sometimes works and sometimes acts as a hindrance to the creativity or to its finding its own voice and I feel like season two of the American office is when it just let go of any sort of 
you know, like, oh, no, we, you know, we need to worry about the British fans or worry right. about Ricky Gervais and just thought, let's just make it about Michael Scott and, you know, these this cast of misfits yeah. um yeah. in Scranton. And, and that, the George Foreman grill, the episode, <laughs> the injury, the, the episode's called The Injury. It's one of the most absurd, torturous, like, half hours of television I've seen ever. It's so funny. It's so dark. It's... I mean, the exploration of compassion and empathy. Uh, yeah, it's yeah. amazing. Well, it's weird in some ways to, to go back and watch it now because it's, you know, he is such an awful boss. He's so offensive on every level. It's just a nonstop stream of, like, classism, sexism, racism, ableism. I mean, you couldn't, you couldn't even list. I mean, he would just be out so quickly now. Yeah. Um, but the thing is also such a normal, like, you know, we, that is something that we are so used to, even currently, we all still know a Michael Scott. Yeah. 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 And, and, you know, the funny thing is by season two, uh, because you're right, season one, I think they were still trying to emulate David Brent, and they were mm-hmm. still like trying to. He, he was even more cruel in season one because that was much more right. sort of based on. I think they even used a lot of the scripts early on from mm-hmm. the original Office and adapted them a little bit. So season two is when they started to soften him some, and it became much more of a family, and you started to get to know some of the other characters in the Office. So, so uh, you know, he had started to become softer then, but he's still so awful. Um, and, you know, what's interesting about that episode is Mindy Kaling wrote mm-hmm. that episode. Mm-hmm. So, you know, she she brought her interesting perspective to it as well. Um, but, but yeah, I mean, it's, it is, it's a disturbing episode, but it is a fun episode. You've got some good Dwight stuff as well um, where, you, you know, for, because he has a concussion, he briefly becomes a decent human being, but it's only momentary. Yeah. I mean, I think there, there's, for the first time, you see like shades of of uh, Michael Scott and and Dwight that where you realize okay these might be humans these might be people who we feel a little bit of sympathy yeah. for the other thing i like too is that you see Pam really put upon and you know they just treat Pam like shit but she pushes back and you start to see the glimmer of the Pam that we kind of you know really get to to know and and love in in future seasons mm-hmm. and that's you know, and I know a lot of people now who are going through, like, they're re-binging The Office now that it's, like, on Netflix. Mm-hmm. And, and people were watching from the beginning and, and, you know, going their way through. And it's, you know, it's it's one of those family, like, like office comedies that's also a workplace family. And you, you really appreciate it now. And you kind of miss it when it's gone. Yeah. I mean, um, I, oh gosh, Angela, I rewatched it recently, too. And Angela is one of my favorite characters. Yeah. I mean... It's so insane. She's incredible. Yeah, yeah. Well, even in this episode, um, because she's she's got this like secret affair or crush with Dwight, and yeah. she's the one who's kind of still looking at the camera and is just like bitter over everything and and sort of suspicious of everyone and everything. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, you're right. It's a great like the fact that that show was on long enough that even the peripheral characters got enough personality and and got enough airtime mm-hmm. is pretty cool. I so. agree. So, well, now on your favorite Portlandia episode, you also picked a, sort of a departure from a, a regular Portlandia episode, mm-hmm. a, a rare instance of an entire uh, an episode devoted to one thing, which, of course, is the, the origin story of, of Tony and Candace. Right. I guess I am exposing myself 
for the contrarian that I, I truly am. <laughs> I, um... But I like it. I mean, I like this episode for so many reasons. So this was uh, season five, episode one, uh, January 8, 2015 is when it aired. Um, so so take me back to, to this episode and, and the whole origins of the origin story, how you guys decided to, to, to do the, the whole Candace and Tony uh, story. Sometime around seasons three or four with Portlandia, we really realized we wanted to start focusing on characters. We used to sort of marry concepts or ideas with new characters. It felt like this sort of, you know, it's just this like bottomless, endless, you know, whatever, like pool of characters that we could draw from. And then we realized, no, there's actually only about 10 characters for whom we sort of feel this warmth towards and we want to explore them deeper instead of just, you know, kind of reintroducing or introducing new characters and kind of, it felt like we were sort of keeping the audience at bay by doing that. And um, that it would be more interesting. We get at something with a little more heart to kind of focus on uh, a handful. Tony and Candace, who are feminist bookstore owners, had always been um, favorites of ours. And we realized because they're so, they're so strange, you know. They they operate from a place of outrage and and contradiction, um, and so we thought, well, why, why? You know, why are these women who are running uh, a feminist bookstore, which one would think would espouse, you know, solidarity and um, openness and inclusivity? Why are they pushing people away? Mm-hmm. Uh, and so yeah, so we wanted to. We kept thinking like, well. How did they meet? And at first we had them, we wanted um, them to maybe be the secret founders of this um, feminist punk movement called Riot Girl. We were like, oh, let's make it so that Tony and Candace were like the original Riot Girls. They were in this punk band. And and then we thought, well, that that's the expected thing is that they came up through these earlier iterations. Did they have their or, own band or, or were waves. they a part of the existing yeah. Riot Girl bands? Yeah, that they were going to have their own band. Yeah. We were going to do this flashback that they, you know, had been in this this punk scene. And we just thought, no, everybody, that's what people think, that they're going to be, like, part of the second or third wave feminist movement. And we thought, no, like, let's put them in a place that is just inherently more, like, full of more conflict. And um, so we, we put them in the corporate world uh, that they had almost found – you know, and, and they were up against, you know, just rampant sexism and in their uh, respective corporations and sort of have to uh, merge and join uh, forces. But then the reason they find the bookstore is because they're basically escaping from the law, <laughs> right. <laughs> which to me made so much more sense because they always seemed like such sort of flawed as a very flawed version of of feminism, you know, very contradictory version of feminism, um, which is totally normal. I mean, I, humans are flawed and uh, contradictory, but I just always wondered why they were so sort of mean. And so I, I, I wanted them to kind of come at it almost under duress and sort of learn, like figure out a way of like operating in, in these new confines, mm-hmm. um, which seemed to make more sense as a backstory. Like, why are they at such odds with their environment? And so, yeah, so we, we put them in this weird uh, 80s corporate world and uh, 
we loved it. We had such a great time shooting that. Yeah, yeah. And also it explains a little more of why they're at odds with each other as yeah. well. I mean, the, the whole backstory. And and so many choices that you, you made in that episode. To, I mean, A, it's always fun to do flashbacks. Mm-hmm. So in 91, that's a, that's a fun year to go back to. Yeah. I mean, starting with the fact that they were working for two rival <laughs> booksellers in B. Dalton and Walden Books. And the fact that you name-checked those two. Uh, I love um, and, and uh, you know, and then of course the the dance off to snaps the power. <laughs> yeah, sorry, I just forgot about that dance off, and that's the thing. Like we had to improvise that. That's you know, I was like, why did we not try to choreograph that dance? It was really. Crazy. Oh, was that that really just improv dancing? That was, yeah, that was improv dancing. That was a very fun day of of dancing to that song and we we did not have a lot of money making that show we we really spent a lot of money on that song (laughs) (laughs) you mean snaps the power still is expensive of course it's a huge hit (laughs) it was a huge hit it's it's by the way it's still a good song doesn't come cheap i I do still love that song to the point that i could i could rap you the rap but i won't but uh it's, it's classic 90s um but uh, yeah, yeah. So, so that, and and also, you know, obviously there was this, uh, you know, a, a serious story behind it, and uh, you know, something that you guys have dealt with throughout the years on the show, way before Me Too, and and Times Up. Um, but uh, you know, it's it's of course watching it now in 2018 resonates a whole uh, at a whole different level. Um, but what was what was the reaction to the episode? I mean, again, you guys were doing something different. Uh, um, how how was it uh, received from the fans and and from folks? I think it was received well. I I feel like the I feel like the general consensus was that we had done something surprising, and people yeah. they were characters who people wanted to know on a deeper level and wanted to get a sense of you know their backstory and uh, how they met. So, yeah, I mean, I I think it's tricky whenever, you know, people watch a show and sort of they want to know what's going to happen, but then they also want to be surprised. It's a it's a really fine line to walk and you really have to kind of tune out the sort of like you cannot create something based on consensus or based on, you know, what other people think or what their sort of external definitions are of the show so we i think we are always open to the elasticity of the form and we're always just hoping that people would kind of come along for the ride and i think that is an example of when we did it most successfully mm-hmm. i you know it didn't always work when we tried to you know be transgressive or some subversive or you know do something that you know sort of defied people's expectations of the show but i i feel good that that was a time that where it paid off. Yeah, yeah. No, it was, you know, a great tribute to those characters. And again, like, you mentioned that, you know, how flawed they were. And and is that, uh, that's ultimately why the, the, the bookstore in real life just didn't quite understand what you guys are doing? Or, or there was a point where they wanted to move on and, and you guys went your separate ways? And Yeah, I think, you know, so uh, in other words, uh, it's a nonprofit. So they're run by an advisory board. Um, and in the earlier iteration of the store and the board, everyone was, everything was very copacetic and, uh, we had a really great relationship with everyone that worked at the store and, and was, you know, part of the advisory committee. Uh, and then as that began to shift, uh, I think sort of the, the new, newer wave of people just were less comfortable with sort of our version of 
you know, what what they saw in the show, what they saw with Tony and Candace, which is fine. You know, I mean, to me, I feel like the sort of noise and chatter around it was sort of distracting. But I think within politics, within feminist discourse, disagreeing is fine. Having an, a conversation that is about critique and, you know, is sort of giving out constructive criticism and not necessarily you know, coming at it from the same perspective is okay. It's just when it kind of gets filtered through like this sort of, you know, clickbait outrage kind of right. lens that things feel really out of control. But when it really boils down to it, I'm like, great. You know, I respectfully disagree, but I also am a huge supporter of your bookstore. So we will... Um, we're going to be okay. Yeah, yeah. No, and it uh, in in some ways allowed you to evolve Tony and Candace uh, and and sort of do the whole other stories uh, mm-hmm. and and sort of exactly. br- take them apart, bring them back together. So, yeah. so uh, it, it opened the door inadvertently to yeah. more more creativity. Exactly, and I mean, in some ways, it was sort of the most fitting ending to us working at the bookstore that the actual bookstore would be offended and kick us out uh, <laughs> as. When the sketch itself was about two people who were offended and were always kicking yeah. people out, it's like, well, you wrote a better ending than we could have. I, I do still love the the whole concept of this this like local like small like free newspaper reporter showing up and just like writing a fifty word story about the, the <laughs> women and women first and, and getting the whole life story of the two of them. So it was a great great even setup to to that whole episode. All right, well, thanks. So rest of your life, you're going to be asked the question about when when does Portlandia come back? Uh, are, are you getting ready for like the next 10 years of, of being asked that question until you finally bring it back? Uh, <laughs> yeah, I hadn't prepared for it, but now I will. It, I'll start bracing myself every for Every interview. Yeah. I'm just going to tell you right now. So That's so weird because there did not used to be that expectation for a television <laughs> show. I mean, that, that was a common question for like a, a band. Yeah. You know, I think people should start asking divorced couples that. When are you guys getting back right, together? Right. You know, even if you've moved on and started new families and stuff. Yeah, what, like, what about the reboot? What is the reboot? What do you guys what, Come on. Yeah, you yeah. know, the fans are waiting. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, listen, there are fans of couples. Yeah. Yeah, what if I was a fan of the old couple? No, I, you know? I, absolutely. I never want to see them move on and do something new. Yeah. I always want them to do the old thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Can yeah. you guys do the old tour? I mean, the Eagles, like, got back together and toured. How about you two? You exactly. two crazy kids. Yeah, so if, um, yeah, <laughs> so if it could be more like that. No, we'll, I mean, I'm sure we'll do something, but I don't know. I mean, I feel like we... We ended in a way that we really, where we really still enjoyed it. We really, it it never felt like obligatory. It always felt hopeful and relatable and relevant. And I think we would only return to it if there was sort of something to say and that we felt like the container of Portlandia was sort of the only shape in which to tell a certain story. I think Fred and I and, and Jonathan Kreisel, our co-creator, we're all very allergic to anything that feels indulgent yeah. or self-referential. I, I I love sort of getting in and getting out. And I would say eight seasons is barely that. I mean, that's like a long stretch of time, and I feel so lucky to have done it yeah. for that long. Um, but yeah, so so we'll see. I would I would say never say never, but who knows? How is the pilot going, by the way? It's good. It's it's done. Just in the in the waiting period now. Yeah. So it's delivered. Who's 
delivered, yeah. Got it, and now we just kind of wait? Just waiting. Yeah. Is, yeah, everyone loves waiting. Have they given you a timetable at all? or? Yes, I should know in a, imminently, really. Yeah. In like two weeks. Oh, really? Yeah. Like, wow, wow. Yeah. Like they could call you right now, actually. They could call me right now. I don't think they're going to. Yeah, yeah. I don't know if that's how it works, where you get like a personal call. I wish it was like an Ed McMahon like thing where they just show up at your house with like a giant check and you like open the door and freak out. Balloons yeah. and then a crew. Like then, yeah, then they're the like, crew, yeah. and it's like you immediately start production. Yeah. Like that moment. That's almost like a bad dream though. Is that like you just like, yeah, you open your door and you're just like action and then that's it. You just shoot 10 episodes and yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I hope there's a little more like, a, runway before that. A fever dream yeah. of some sort. So we talked about your Hulu pilot, uh, uh-huh. Search and Destroy. So so that's, uh, you know, fingers crossed. Uh, and what, what else are you excited about uh, that you've got on your plate? Uh, doing some more directing. So I'm about to direct. Uh, A.D. Bryant has a new show called Shrill, which is based on uh, Lindy West's book. Um, she's a cultural critic, humorist. Uh, and I'm about to go shoot an episode of that, and I have some more directing. Um, I just did some recording with Slater Kinney. Uh, I'm really honestly trying to, this neologism is not a great one, but monotask. Uh, it's less about, it's just really about trying to be in the moment and to enjoy something. And ideally, it's not just enjoying work. It's enjoying anything, but I I really am trying to sort of do one thing at a time, yeah, and um, do it with intention and dedication, and and love, which I think you can only do if you're not spreading yourself thin. So, yeah, one step at a time, one project at a time, one you know day at a time. <laughs> well, uh, congrats on the Emmy nominations. Thank uh, you. So so one final uh, visit uh, with with the uh, the Portlandia folks. Uh, so good luck. <laughs> Thank you. And um, yeah, we'll uh, look forward to everything else. Thank Thanks. you, Carrie Brownstein. Great seeing you. You too. That's it for this edition of My Favorite Episode. Join us again next time as we once again explore another guest pick. And be sure to subscribe to My Favorite Episode on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or anywhere you download podcasts. Also, head on over to Variety.com for your daily fix of TV news, analysis, and reviews. I'm Michael Schneider, and we'll see you again next time. slots you can get lucky just about anywhere dearly beloved we are gathered here today to has anyone seen the bride and groom sorry sorry we're here we were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time no lucky land casino with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry in that case i pronounce you lucky play for free at luckylandslots.com daily bonuses are waiting no purchase necessary void were prohibited by law 18 plus terms and conditions apply see website for details